Welcome once again to Truth Script Tuesday. It is still Tuesday, uh, though it's late as I am recording this. Um, there's actually a number of articles on the Truth Script website that I think are very much worth your time. And that's why I do want to say up front that uh, whether or not there is a Truth Script Tuesday episode, you can always go to truthscript.com. And if you go to the top, there's a little subscribe button right here. And uh, you can type your email address in and you can get uh, access to emails that will keep you up to date on the Truth Script articles. Or you can just go to the website, of course. Uh, and there are updates there uh, frequently. We try to put out about three articles a week. And uh, this week is no exception. We have uh, a great article by Matt George entitled Young Men and Christian Nationalism, an Opportune Moment for the Church. And in, in fact, this one was already read. Um, we're toying around with um, how to do this because it's a lot of manpower to read every article and put it out there in an understandable form. Some people appreciate that because they don't have the time to read articles. They'd rather listen to them. Um, but we're, we're figuring out how to do that. But this was one of the ones that uh, is read. It's out there on uh, iTunes, as I understand it, and YouTube. You can go to uh, truescript.com. And uh, if you scroll down, there's a whole uh, YouTube section here. Uh, so you can, uh, that's an easy way to get on the YouTube um, subscription on uh, on that particular website. And if you go to iTunes, you can just type in Truthscript Live and subscribe there. Uh, but uh, there's there's two other articles, and these are the ones that I want to really hone in on that concern music. And, you know, music is something that um, I, I'm a minister of music, I guess you could, I don't know if that's the official title. I think it is. Uh, if you could call it that, but uh, I'm the guy who kind of administrates the musical ministries at the particular church I go to, and it's not something that I'm new to. I've, I've done that uh, for years, and I've played guitar in church and sang for years, and so uh, you know, music is something that uh, I, I at least have somewhat of a familiarity with it. Now, um, I might not be as skilled as some, and you know, it's a smaller church, so uh, if, if it was a larger church, I may be eliminated at a <laughs> at a lower stage or something. Uh, so I, I'm not claiming to be um, a, a necessarily a great musician, but I, I do, I think, tend to know music, good music when I hear it. And, um, and if, of course, for church, the main thing is you want music that suits the congregation, that they can sing to so that they can offer up praises to the Lord. And if they can't hear the words, or if, of course, if it's in another language, it's kind of meaningless to them. Uh, if they can't uh, sing it because it's too hard melodically, then um, you know we don't use songs like that. We use songs that the congregation can sing, that they can um, have full participation in at any level. Uh, so the, the key has to be such that people can join in and sing harmonies or whatever, uh, what, whatever they sing, they can join in no matter what their range is. And so... Um, so, so I've been I've been there for the worship wars, as they call it. And uh, uh, I remember when this was years and years ago, but I remember when more contemporary styles were first introduced into the church that I now attend. It was um, it, it was difficult for some people. And uh, that was done. I think I think it was navigated very well. It was done with a lot of um, understanding and, um, and and of course, there, there's along the way, there's people who um did not maybe respond in the most mature ways. But um, the thing about music is there is both objective and subjective elements. 
And I think th this first article gets at that quite nicely. And it navigates these particular disagreements in a way that's full of wisdom and experience. Uh, and of course, coming from someone with a very biblical conviction. And that would be Mark Coppinger. Mark Coppinger uh, is a philosopher. He's a professor or was a professor. He's uh, retired now, uh, but he was at the South e uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he wrote an article. It's probably the longest article we published uh, called Body Life Music. And he gets into some of this stuff. He, he starts off by, uh, and, and I should say, because I'm not going to read this word for word, this is a very uh, well-written article, and it's got a little, a lot of little hooks in it, a lot of interesting words, a lot of uh, illustrations that are delightful, and uh, little asides because of Mark Coppinger's vast experience. I mean, he even talks about at one point that he had played, I think it was trumpet, in a band uh, with Bill Clinton. <laughs> so there, there's little things in there that are very interesting, but um, he starts off by talking about how every church has an aesthetic, uh, which he defines as a conglomeration of impacts on the senses, whether visual, auditory, gustatory, olfactory, or tactual. And, and so he's saying that every church has a certain feel, right? A certain mood, a certain aesthetic. And that this is inescapable, essentially. I mean, this isn't something you can't choose to not have an aesthetic. You're going to have one inescapably. So there is no like... Uh, vacuous or neutral uh, option here. Like you're going to to be communicating something with the way that you dress and the way you sing and the way, you know, your style, essentially. And, and then he gets into how th there's a wide range of traditions out there, musically speaking, that can inform uh, Christians and be used, musical forms that can be used in corporate worship. And, and he gives a, a number of examples of that from different styles um, and his own experience. And he, he talks about the uniqueness of Christianity, that uh, you, you go to a Christian music shop and there's just, uh, there used to be those, I don't know if they still exist, but there, there's a wide range of um, musical forms, but not every religion has this kind of thing. And he compares it to Hindu and he compares it to uh, Judaism, which actually does have uh, quite a bit of music, but it's not as wide ranging as Christian, Christian music. Um, and of course, uh, Islamic music is, is I mean, it's a musical wasteland. That's the, that's what he says. And Christians are unique in this sense. And maybe we don't realize it, but we, we are a very musical people. We use all kinds of forms to worship and praise God. And, um, and, and that's appropriate. Uh, it, we're trying to use all the keys on the piano. We're trying to um, we're trying to praise him with, with every, every means at our disposal. Now, um, he goes on, he talks about, uh, two colleagues at Wheaton that helped him navigate, um, music and, and, uh, Harold Best was the Dean of the conservatory. And, uh, then he talks about, um, that, let's see, who's the other guy? Uh, Harold Bess, and then uh, Vida Chenoweth. And um, that, that these were two people very accomplished in music who helped him understand music at a deeper level in Christianity. And he said, it's the words mostly, 
uh, that he says uh, that he had a conviction that it's the words, not the music. And in 1980, he was moderating a Wheaton panel discussion, Wheaton College or university. And the administration's prerequisite for hosting the school's first Christian rock band featuring Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill and Daniel Amos band. Now, I might be uh, showing my youth <laughs> and inexperience. I don't know who these people are, actually. Maybe I should. But this was a Christian rock band. And uh, he said Harold Best and him uh, and he shared the stage with Norman Stonehill uh, and English poet Steve Turner and Stephen Lawhead of Campus Life magazine. And um and of course, he, he was thinking of how Martin Luther used drinking songs, uh, at least tunes from them, and put different lyrics to glorify God. And, uh, you know, they had this panel discussion on Christian rock and whether or not you, know, you could justify it based on that logic. And he says, one stu student, he said, stands up in the middle of this panel, I guess, or maybe at the end, and he testifies that he didn't object to our evening scheduled fair, but that he wouldn't be there. And he just said, sex, drugs, rock and roll, it all goes together. I, I can't be there. And, um, and, and he um, basically got the point that associations are something to take into consideration. The thing I like about this, though, is there's a prudential element to it. I think that uh, Mark Hoppinger is looking at this, practically speaking, and and uh, he, he's not looking at it in an ideological way where it's like, well, here's the rule. You know, you either can use songs that have tunes that have been appropriated or, or used or associated with worldly things, or you can't. It's not a question of can or can't. It's what's best. And um, and I think that's the way to, to approach this. It's a wisdom issue more than anything else. And he says that his point is not that any particular forms of music are utterly unfit to convey biblical messages, but rather that we needed to go easy on rushing into them, all the while being wary of snark towards the reluctance. In the mid-1990s, he says, I took part in a Boston meeting connected to the Cambridge Declaration, which linked evangelicalism to the five solas of the Reformation, and he was on board, but he thought the Declaration was so reformed that it went, it was a bridge too far for excluding Arminians from the evangelical camp. And while he resonated with the uh, the words of disdain for 7-Eleven songs, which means um, when you have, you know, se seven uh, words repeated 11 times uh, with numbering repetition of phrases like it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise <laughs> to pick one. He found it ironic that we were perfectly at ease with the sevenfold amens in the hymnals uh, of James Montgomery voice. And so he says, well, he, I was pleased to meet in Cambridge and with great graphics on the program and stationery, I tired of the consistent dismissal of PR. After all, uh, they were they could have gone with a graffiti style get her done slogan instead of post uh, tenebrous lux. And why not issue the Kokomo Declaration? It would have been he's very funny the way he writes. It would have been cheaper to meet in Cornfield, Indiana than Harvardish Cambridge. But we wanted to signal we were sophisticated churchmen, not fundamentalist rubes. That's PR. So let's go easy on the snark when it comes to the body of Christ. Uh, to thoughtful, even bold criticism, but not so much to taste-based cancellation. And so he, and then in a uh, in a section titled "Musical Eating Disorders," I told you this is a long article for uh, for True Script at least. Um, he talks about uh, that there's a great variety in genres of film that he likes and, and they convey different emotions. And I think this is a really good point. 
you know, you have your tear jerkers and your action and your, and I mean, different films will inspire different kinds of things. And he thought about this in connection with the waves of Christian contemporary music and the Technicolor productions with the Skywalker sound or as close as you can get to it, given limited budgets. And he says, I think of an Oliver Twistian congregant bringing his bowl to the CCM bound and music administrator saying, please, sir, might we have some Charles Wesley, <laughs> Martin Luther, uh, Ian Bartlett. Um, and he goes on. And while we're at it, could we have fewer stylizing embellishments? Some of it's okay, but don't you wish analogously that more sporting events would start with the plain old Star Spangled Banner without the jazz and blues tweaks. Now, you, you might think this is a guy who's just, this is his opinions, and that's all, he, and they are opinions, but I will tell you this. I, um, I have actually a copy here, because he gave me a copy. Uh, Mark Coppinger was the editor of this, uh, Apologetical Aesthetics. Mark Coppinger's not a someone who's new to aesthetics. This is something he thinks about. This is something that he thinks a lot about. That's why I think this article is definitely uh, worth your time because he, what he's getting at is that there are different emotions conveyed and there are different uh through different styles and they, they produce different effects in people and just like a diet you you, you want to have a balanced diet you don't want to necessarily uh eat one thing uh as in and, and this isn't an argument, but by the way, this isn't, I'm not saying like this is a, a, an argument for diversity in the sense of like, well, we must have other cultures to inform our understanding and our lens or something. No, no, no. Th this is more of just a, um, you, you could have actually like one particular uh, genre of music in, in, a, in a way. I mean, it's possible that can strike all these different notes uh, in people. Uh, I mean, you can have, if you listen to the radio, let's say, I mean, you can listen to, um, I, I listen to a lot of country music, uh, at least I used to on the radio. And you have sad songs, you have happy songs, you have songs that motivate you towards certain things and songs that probably uh, bring about thoughts that you shouldn't have and you turn it off. And you have, you have all kinds of different songs that are compositions with lyrics and melodies. And they produce different things in you based on the tempo and the instrumentation and the voices and, and, and the lyrics. And so um, what he's saying, though, is that uh, having a wide variety of those things will produce different effects. And that's actually a good thing. And it's a beautiful thing. And, um, you know, why, why not have a wide array of these kinds of things? Why, even what he's getting at with the national anthem, it's, uh, so often done in such a jazzy kind of syncopated way you don't even know what the real, you know, the pure sort of uh, original national anthem sounded like. I mean, that's kind of like it's it's become so boring, right? It's just one thing all the time. Um, so he says that, uh, let's see, I'm going to actually skip ahead here. Uh, he, he kind of, he talks about people who um, were even getting uh, down on I saw the light and songs like that, which is interesting because now like who would get down on that? But there, there was a time those songs were newer and they were considered less traditional. So he, he ends the piece though, by talking, reflecting on a time that he was leading a church plant and they had many accomplished musicians there and they did many different styles, Southern gospel, bluegrass, traditional hymnody, minor key, Jewish folk, up-tempo and down-tempo spirituals and CCM with all kinds of instruments. And he said that 
when his Southern Baptist students showed up and asked how they framed their music, he said uh, that they insisted on orthodoxy and aim for quality. But he said, I'd add, it depends on who shows up in the kaleidoscope of town and gown congregants. It was body life music drawing on the complementary gifts and talents of those in the fellowship and concerned that we give all in the body a chance to join full voice in the singing of their beloved genres. Uh, and and that, that's I think that's an excellent way of approaching this. And that's the way I've tried to approach things at my own church. I mean, you use a wide variety of forms that reflect the people in your congregation, because what's the point? The point is in worship music is promoting the worship of our Lord. So if it's a form that it's just, you know, it could even be, you know, and, and I'll I'll say this, this is not Mark Coppinger saying it, but I'll just say it. You could have a situation where um, you have a congregation that's just, they don't know anything about music and they need super simple, right? That's just where they're at. They're not going to be able to do harmonies. Uh, they can't join in. Now, the goal hopefully is, you know, if, if you have the resources to get people kind of up to speed on that. But the church, you know, as an institution is not the, the uh, that's not the main purpose of the church to educate people in music. I mean, there was a time when people used to come more equipped in that way. They just through life and through their own educations came to know music. But um, that may not be the case today. And that may demand simpler forms that and you just can't do the complex things. I, I was even talking with someone recently about uh, doing like Handel's Messiah or something like the Hallelujah Chorus, at least I should say not all of Handel's Messiah, but doing something like that. And I just don't know that we could pull it off. Uh, the, you know, trying to lead the congregation in different parts while, while other people, it's just too complex. But there may be other places where that, that kind of thing's perfectly appropriate. You can do all kinds of things because the people there know music better. And, and that's just one element, right? Um, you may be in a place that, you, you know, if you go to like uh, certain places in Africa, it's going to be louder and it's going to be, there's going to be more dancing and more, a uh, lot more, uh, acoustic drums and things like that. And it's, um, it's different and it, it doesn't mean you can't critique or evaluate different forms of music, but you should be at least open to different cultures are going to express themselves, uh, in different ways. And there's going to be ways that are more accustomed to them because of their shared experience and their past and so forth. And so it's nothing wrong with teaching Western music to non-Western peoples. Uh, there's also nothing wrong, though, with um, conveying worship uh, of our Lord in uh, non-Western forms. So, anyway, I appreciate it because he gets out. It, he he puts it more in the category of prudence and wisdom and keeping your mindset on the the end goal and not trying to come up with some kind of a rigid ideology by which to create rules that govern the sounds that are used in church. Uh, there are principles that we uh, that we draw from, but it, there's not a rigidity that says, well, rock and roll is bad. You can't ever use rock and roll and that kind of thing. So anyway, I, I appreciated the article. That's on the True Script website uh, right now, Mark Coppinger. And uh, there's another uh, song, and th I like this one a lot too. Um, this one's called Mining Old Hymnals. Mining Old Hymnals. And uh, th this song... Um, Actually, this is by someone who came to the retreat uh, last year, and uh, he is a musician in, uh, let me see if it says, Faith Community Church in Woodstock, Georgia. So 
he's um, actually uh, he plays a number of different uh, instruments. I think he had I'm trying to remember what he had. He had like a flute or something when he came up. I don't remember. Yeah, I think he brought an instrument with him and he was showing us a little bit. Um, but uh, his name's Matt and he he writes this article about finding old hymns. And the thing is, you know, despite what I just said, <laughs> and I agree with Mark Coppinger, I know he'd, uh, I, I think, agree with this as well. There is something rich about music that has stood the test of time and lyrics that have stood the test of time in the church. And we, we tend to, you know, it's like when you're mixing ingredients for food, right? Um, you, you think, you know, who is the first person to come up with a particular dish? And how many times did they fail and add too much salt or they, they forgot a certain spice? And then, you know, over time, though, they figured out the right combination to make it taste just right. Well, it's like that, I think, with with music, too. You, you get uh, songs that just stand the test of time. People keep singing them because they're so good, because they they um, they're, they're well done. They uh, they they hit the right notes. They they they're catchy or they. um convey the, the emotion or complement the words and, uh, you know, do it in beautiful ways. And so um, it's good to kind of go back to some of these older songs that, that have stood the test of time. And his experience is that in a lot of Christian churches, people don't even know some of the, the hymns. And so he says, um, he says, many conservative Christians are longing for a previous area of traditional values, right? God honoring family relationships and the good old days when life was much more simple. It's like visiting a small, quaint town. with So so there's this sort of like nostalgia that we have for a pr previous time. And he, su he says, I suggest that by exploring the rich tradition of hymns, songs, prayers, and even Protestant liturgy from yesteryear, we can access those small, quaint towns right now. Great line. Great line. Yes. Uh, going back and looking at these old musical forms transports you to into the past in a way. There's a shared experience all of a sudden you have with people from hundreds of years ago. Songs they enjoy, you're enjoying. Uh, worship that they gave to God, you are now giving similar worship to God, hearing the same notes, uh, singing the same words. In the past 30 years, there have been a number of prominent musicians and groups who have uh, brought some old hymns um, back to life, so to speak. Before the Throne of God was one of them. That was an obscure uh, hymn written in the 19th, uh, 19th century. Sovereign Grace brought that back. Um, talks about other songs. And, and in fact, uh, if we had time, I would play some of these. But he has uh, some links in here for songs that you should listen to. He talks about how being raised in a Lutheran church, he got to know a lot of these traditional hymns, which was such a blessing to him. And... Um, and he gives some great, this is great for uh, music leaders. He gives a uh, resource uh, advertisement or, or recommendation here for a traditional music, uh, Christian traditional music resource. He says, everyone knows we are at a cultural crossroads and we long for a place where God can be glorified, his created order respected and his commands obeyed. It discourages us and we tend to despair. However, however we have access to uplifting music and lyrics that go back centuries. So, good article uh, for Christmas when we hear so many carols. Now, if you are interested in contributing to TrueScript, uh, articles like the ones that I just 
reviewed, then you can scroll down to the bottom at truescript.com and there is a publish tab. Click on that. And if you'd like to donate, we are a 501c3. You can click on the donate tab. We'd appreciate any gift uh, that you can give us. We have a lot more we'd like to do and are planning to do next year. Uh, and that goes forward by the grace of God and with your support. So I just want to say thank you to everyone. And this is True Script Tuesday. God bless you.